Are you immersed in a sea of business advice and education, but not sure what to embark on first? Instead of adding to the ocean of information, we're here to help you navigate it like a pro. The Wayfinding Growth Podcast will help you take a deep dive into new actionable strategies, tools, and tactics to help you grow. So start charting a course for business growth as you explore a better way to grow further, faster, with your hosts, Remington Begg and George B. Thomas. And what is up? We are back side by side, hand in hand. Well, yeah, we can't hold hands because it's digital and I'm in North Carolina and he's, yeah, I don't know. We can, we can try, <laughs> but hey, glad you're tuning back in for another episode of the Wayfinding Growth Show where we try to get you the tools that you need to leave the dock of mediocrity and head to your success. Last week we talked to, man, whew, talk about meltdown, mental meltdown, Christopher <laughs> Penn. Remington, I, I, you know, here's the thing. Just when a guy thinks that they're pseudo smart, a little bit, <laughs> then then you you end up on a podcast with Remington Bag and Christopher Penn, and you just sit there and you shake your head and wonder how did I get here? What were your <laughs> thoughts during, during the uh, kind of initial part of the interview with Christopher Penn? Yeah, so uh, anyone that knows me knows I'm a pretty big data nerd, and I have been shown up like to the nth degree. Um, so I'd never met Christopher, Christopher Penn before. And, you know, you could just tell that guy is uber smart. Like he, he's just got a lot of like just how he like, how he calculated things out loud in a couple different segments, um, during the last show, you know, were pretty, pretty incredible just to see. Cause it's that, that mental, that mentality and, and everything I think is really fun. Um, yeah, I, mean, I was, listen, listen, anybody yeah. who has data around cheese, dadgummit, like <laughs> the fact that there's a page that you can go to where he knows what cheese to sell when because of data, like that's all yeah. I need to say. Like, and if you haven't watched the show or listened to the show, listeners, viewers, go do that. Sorry, Remington. I didn't mean to interrupt you. So go no, ahead. No. Wax poetic. Um, but it was also so like I'm super data driven and, and aspire to be data driven in everything we do at Impulse, um, probably to a fault in some cases. And it was really cool because I left I left that episode really inspired um, and and he opened up a whole bunch of holes that I didn't even know were there mm. uh, and some really great insights. And I loved you know, talking about SEO, SEO is like a mystery to a lot of people, but like actually talking about how AI and SEO works hand in hand. Um, it's been it's been pretty incredible, and I can't wait to dig in a little bit deeper into those things. Yeah, definitely. Look, if you have not really gotten to know Christopher Ben, make sure you check out the podcast Marketing Over Coffee. Make sure you go to his website, ChristopherPenn.com, uh, and check out all the kind of nerdy things uh, that, that he talks about. Speaking of nerdy things, we quickly got into charting the course, Remington, and Christopher, Chris, Mr. Penn, uh, the smartest man on the planet, might I say, uh, <laughs> just opens us up with like language processing. Um, and, uh, and use the words mathematics. That's when I knew I was in trouble. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm like, Oh, here we go. So, but here, but I want to drill into uh, a section and then let you kind of go from there. He talked about this like three step thing of acceleration, accuracy, and automation. And I want to tell you what happened to my brain during that section is that I started to think about 
the speed in which I type my searches versus don't type my searches, right? So for, so from an SEO standpoint, we always talk about, well, you need the keyword in the title tag and the meta description and in your H1, the heading tag. You want those to match because that's a signal. But I had never thought of like the rate in which I type a search in for Google thinking to themselves, oh, well, he's looking for a place to eat tonight with his wife or homeboy's hungry right now. Um, that was amazing to me. But when you start to think about that portion of it, like, cause of course I went to food, like, you know, cause I'm (laughs) cheesecake driven. You're, you're, you're math driven. You're data driven. I'm, I'm cheesecake driven. I'm like, where are we going to eat tonight? I need to know that. But where did your brain go with like this whole acceleration, accuracy, automation, language processing ball of nerdness? (laughs) <laughs> I think it was cool how he kind of unpacked uh, like what AI is. And he basically said that it all begins with math, statistics, and probability. Um, that's that's like for some of us who aren't nerdy enough, like understanding what AI is. And I think at the same time, um, it's also something that people tend to shy away from. They don't know and they don't understand. But he he also kind of opened up that it's it's weaving into everyday business even if we don't realize it. And like he, and that's when he brought up that example to Google, which blew my mind, by the way. Um, he also talked about the amount of information that's available. And when you think about it, it makes sense. Like more now than ever, we're on our mobile devices and stuff like that. And, and he really inspired me to start digging into some of those, those things. So, um, one of the things that I thought was really fun in, um, in my research as I started like investigating this more is like if your cell phone is in your pocket and you get in and out of a car, the phone actually knows like there the data says in most devices like you got out of a car and and they know where you got out of the car and they know like what you were essentially what time of day it is and so, so there's so many endpoints yeah where we have this like plethora of information and the first instinct is oh i don't want to be tracked right but the second part of it is like wait how can this be used for good and i really liked i really liked a lot of the theme of where that was going is like, how does this help us as marketers? Um, and really kind of leaned into this whole, the whole concept of leveraging AI for, for SEO, which SEO is already nerdy. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because you're, you're dipping your toe into what we really need to bring up next. And that is he, he started to talk about predictive keyword planning. Um, and it's funny with your, with your analogy, with your story, with what you went with your researching, like, it's it it's what we've done as kids for years as a game right so there's this game that people will read a certain things to you like uh man uh gets up in the morning rides the elevator to the 12th floor but at night uh, you know can only ride down the sixth floor and then has to walk down the steps tell me why right and there's all these points that if you pay attention to it gives you an outcome like your your thing where people were like ooh that's creepy with the phone like i sit here and go no my phone already tells me how many steps i take my phone already tells me how many how long i'm standing my phone tells me how long i'm sitting my phone can tell me that i went from point a to point b a monkey could look at the data and go, oh, they sat for 20 minutes, started sitting here, got up there, walked over here. Like, oh, they went and they they went grocery shopping. 
Right. Now, where this gets super interesting is why did they grow, go grocery shopping? Um, why did they buy the things that they bought when they bought them, right? And this is where we started to dip into the predict predictive keyword planning. And when 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 Chris brought up cheese and what cheese to sell when, um, and I about lost my mind because I wanted to immediately start talking about, well, tell me when to start talking about like speaking services sure. for marketing and sales. So, you know, that to me is the next level of understanding um, simple data points that when put together become complex, but are there for a user's reasoning, a user's yep. need. Um, so what are your thoughts? Cause he started to kind of think about the seven things or not think about, but talk about the seven things like, you know, foundational and measurement, like where did your brain go when we dove into that part? Yeah. So the concept of keyword planning, you know, we, we are pretty heavy technical SEOs over here at impulse and we, like I've never really thought about it as being predictive. I mean, yes, we we strategically go after keywords that have rank. Um, but I I loved how he talked about like how does that influence your content calendar? Um, and it's funny because right after this, um, and this is like I owe I owe Chris a drink next time I see him. Um, but. It was right after this episode, we actually had a client that um, that we ended up taking a break from for a couple of months because they had some other priorities that they had to focus on. And one of the questions that they had was um, after you left, like our traffic dropped. What did you do? And the assumption was we pulled the plug on like whatever magic uh, plug we had plugged in to give him traffic. That's funny. <laughs> and um, and. I would never – I would have been like, I'm not really sure like like other than we didn't really do anything. Um, but what was what was really fun is like the conversation with that we had with Chris about SEO allowed for us to really start thinking about like Google Trends. And so it is. I searched five or six different um, trends around the client's keywords, like keyword strategy that we are going after. And we noticed that those two months that we were stopping – and the reason we stopped was because it was low season for him. Like it, it actually was because no one's searching for those topics. And so, yeah, you're going to see a dip. But we wouldn't have known that without being able to look at some of that historical data. And um, and Christopher showed me, reminded me personally. I know the team. I brought up the team, and they're like, "Yeah, I know." But like, he reminded me that like Google Trends was a thing, and it's got it's got history and trends of month week by week traffic um, for like. I think since 2005 or something, something crazy. But, um, you know, so so knowing that information and how you could change the topics of what you're going to talk about really forces you to be data driven and not report on data. And I thought that that was amazing. So now we can kind of get into the seven things. But it was it was how do you make SEO a forward looking thing versus a backward looking thing? And and I thought that that was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting because when, when we kind of started to talk about this, um, cause he started talking about foundation and data and bounce rate and time on page and all these things that we can start to pay attention to. And again, it's no different than what we talked about earlier. Remington, uh, sat down, stood up, moved this direction. Right. But as human beings, sometimes the simple things are what becomes the most complex to us. And, yep. and what I mean by that is it sounds like if, if you just tell somebody 
uh, I think of my kids. Like when I get, when I give my kids like multiple chores at a time, it never works out well. Like yep. just give them one chore, wait till it's done, then give them another chore. But but even when we're talking about this, like if you told somebody, hey, pay attention to your bounce rate, they're gonna be like, oh yeah, bounce rate. But if you told them to pay attention to all of these things, some would drop through. Like they wouldn't pay attention to all of them. They they would pay attention to three versus the seven or four. And so my thinking on this is just a matter of how in the world do we scale? And that's where this machine learning, this not needing it to be a human, um, part of the SEO thing clicked for me because it's like, oh, wait a minute. I can let this do something that I know that I'm probably going to fail at as a human just because mm-hmm. of how we're built. Like especially right. some of us who have squirrel brains where it's like, ooh, 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 this thing, shiny thing over here, right? right. So, so to me, understanding or listening to him talk about the foundational pieces was like, cool. When's Remington going to build something <laughs> that, that, that does this for our team? So that's sure. that's where I went. Um, I'm sure yeah. you went a lot deeper, but it was like I was battling with the that's really cool to know. I don't know if I believe I'm going to use all of it. Dang it. I want to use all of it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I was sure. battling with. Yeah, yeah. So, so the seven things. So we've got foundation and data, measurement and analytics, insight and research, um, data science, machine learning, and I think there's a couple others, but um, you know, those are the ones that come to the top of my head. The the foundation and data. One of the things he talked about was like garbage in, garbage out. Like you got to make sure you've got great, like a good data source of where you're pulling stuff. And so he brought he brought in from an SEO point of view because that's what we were talking that like bounce rate and time on page is a huge indicator whether you're seeing success from people who are getting to your site because they're getting I guess getting what they want. You didn't just game Google to get ranking, but you actually like got traffic that stuck around. He also mentioned like how many people come back to your site, and you know we all chase the rabbit that is new users or total traffic, but we, we are not in some cases thinking about the like return traffic and getting people to engage more. And that kind of, that molded into a couple of the other conversations we've had on wayfinding growth about like quality of content to get people to come back, but also like how we're measuring it. Um, and so when you start talking about like the insights and the research was like, what should it be? Um, I've been on this crazy bandwagon about, uh, use cases and best practices and stuff like that. And I actually just shared on, on Facebook that like best practices are for laggards, right? And the whole, the whole concept behind that is sure you can have, you can have some best practices, but, um, you've also got to make sure that you're, that you're listening to your own data, not someone else's because you don't know that context. Um, and I loved how Christopher said that the story, like the data has to tell a story, especially for the layman, right? So if we tell you that, um, this time of, this time of the year, people eat X cheese, that is going to be a lot easier to understand than a pie chart that just shows cheese throughout the entire year. I can't believe you Uh, just used X. Like, I can't believe that you did not. Havarti. Well, do you love that cheese? Like, like typically, I like love, if I, I was going to tell this story, I'd say Swiss cheese. That's my favorite cheese. Yeah. You said. Havarti's my jam. You right said now. X. It's literally like part of an equation. 
You made this an equation about cheese, bro. (laughs) I'm just going to throw that out there real quick. Yeah, but so did Chris. So it's fine. (laughs) Um, So then then I loved how he started talking about like the data science and the machine learning side of things. Um, And he brought up a lot of like ideas for like free software. Uh, but the bigger ones that he talked about was like using like, like he mentioned SpyFu, which I'm not, I haven't actually used that personally, but like SEMrush or Moz for like keyword related data. Um, but also realizing that if you have Google Analytics installed, you're sitting on a gold mine of data that is available for you to kind of dig into. And that's been something that again inspired quite a bit in us changed up how we dug into page by page and even inspired a redesign on our homepage. Cause I was like, well, crap. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and, and again, I go to, I, so I, I love Google analytics, by the way, by the way, folks, let me just let everybody catch up. Uh, Remington, like a ninja went from charting the course into <laughs> navigational tools. Didn't even let you know. He just snuck in. He started throwing, uh, throwing stars about spy foo, Moz, all that. So we're in navigational tools. So let me just now say I love Google Analytics, uh, but when we started to talk about Google Analytics, Search Console, Tag Manager, I really do believe those are the places where most people get like the most fearful um, and the most used hurdle of, well, that's complex and I don't understand it as marketers, as sales reps, as business owners um, and and. What's funny is somebody like yourself, maybe a little bit myself, Chris Penn for sure, is like, well, of course you would go here and you would look at this. Um, And and the only reason I'm bringing that up is because as you wax poetic on Google Analytics and Search Console and Tag Manager uh, in this navigational tool area, I want everybody to realize this is going to be the one area as you listen to this that you're going to have to force yourself – to figure out how to learn it, whether it's YouTube yeah. um, tutorials, whether it's lynda.com tutorials, whether it's Google's tutorials themselves, whether it's just dipping in and realizing that you truly really can't break anything, but you have to at least journey around the city that is Google for a little bit to understand the roads and the directions that you want to go and what that data means. So, so just know that for most mortal human beings, you're going to have to force yourself into understanding that. But once you do – like Remington's about to talk about, freaking game changer, game changer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so Google Analytics. <clears throat> I'll just it'll probably be helpful if I just kind of share how I came how I came to the idea that we needed a website redesign. Um, and this this will probably be a good snippet for us to pull out of the episode too. But <clears throat> I started looking at our Google Analytics, and it's one of those things I've always historically looked at it as more of a reporting tool, not a projection tool, but Again, never really thought about data that way, but you start to you start to be able to look at year over year and like what's changed and being able to understand, you know, milestones, if you will, where where changes were made. Um, And overall, our website, our website for us has exponentially increased from a traffic and even a leads point of view. But when we look at the page by page, there are pages that were carrying a lot of the weight and there are pages that weren't. never really sliced it up that way because everything's been great. But just because it's great doesn't mean like is no time to get complacent. So what what I did is I started looking at individual pages and we were looking at time on page and bounce rate, which those are usually the easiest ones that people start to go after. And when we when we dug into that, we realized that the bounce rate on the impulse creative homepage, the old one, 
was horrendous. And by horrendous, I mean like people went to the homepage to leave essentially instead of going to the homepage to like dig deeper into the site. Um, and this is like vulnerability right here. So after we looked at that, it was also one of the pages that got the least amount of thought to it because we knew that a majority of our traffic was going to be coming from other areas. But what we didn't realize is the amount of people that came to the homepage from those other pages in search of information. Um, and so, so when you're looking at Google Analytics, what you have to do is try and figure out what you're trying to accomplish. And I'm 99% sure that Google Analytics has the capability to show you some insights into that. So if it's like, what are my conversions? As long as you have conversion tracking, you're good. But it could come down to how much do people like this page and what are they interested in? Um, and an example on our homepage, we have our homepage, a majority of the people that did stay or went to another page were going to our about page. But yet nowhere on our homepage did it talk about our company except for a little drop-down menu that had it. So we were able to adjust in real time the new homepage that talks about all those things. So that's a little snippet that just went crazy over. But the big the big thing there is like you've got to know the problem that you want to solve and you've got to figure out what the metrics are that would help you solve that. Um, and so since we're in navigational tools, Google Analytics is a great way of getting that info. But I love my friends over at Databox for being able to visualize that in real life. For mere mortals, as you put it. So you totally made my brain go sideways, just yeah. so you know. Sorry, people. So um, it's funny because we – why do – Remington, I, we're going to go down a rabbit hole for a hot second. So, All right. So why do, we, why do we call it a homepage? Right, because we assume that it's a front door to a business just like any other brick and mortar. Well, it was though, right? Like, like in 89, 91, 93 when the web was yeah. young – People went there. Sure. That's the first place yeah. they went. That was what you had on your business card. That was before yep. content marketing. That was before inbound marketing. So, yep. so you know, we don't still call we don't still call this right here uh, rotary phone, <laughs> but it, it's it's a phone. But it's and a he's holding phone. up his phone, people. Right? Yeah. For those of you listening, I held up my my busted uh, oh. iPhone that doesn't work anymore. So I need to get a new phone. Uh, don't drop it on your kitchen floor, by the way. But I digress. So why why do we still call it a homepage? And so Remington, when you were talking, um, and and especially with the data that's presented, is that most people. And by the way, I'm not saying this just because of the story you told about our site. I'm saying this because of all the freaking marketing audits that we've done and all the data yeah. that we've looked at of what users do when they're on a website. And that is that people come back to the homepage because of one reason. Because they're trying to figure out where to go next. Now, let me just back up for a second. Historically, when I would teach the homepage, I would say, and my buddy Marcus Sheridan would say, homepage has one job to do to get them to page two. And that's right. great with the mindset that it's a homepage. However, if you think of it from the perspective that we're talking about right now and they're coming to that page and it's not the first page, it's not its job to get them to page two. It's its job to get them to the next page, right? Completely different context. Yeah. So so (laughs) what I start to think about is why do we call it a home page and should it actually be thought of as a hub page, meaning it's Mm -hmm. the hub of your website. It's the hub of your products and services. It's the hub. So when they do come to that page, either for the first time 
or the seventh time, it's seventh page, fifth page, that it actually gives them the directions, the roadways in which you want them to go easily. Anyway, hub page versus home page. Tweet that junk out, people. Hit me up. I want to know what's going on with that thought in your mind right now. Anyway, I digress. We talked a lot about uh, R. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't. Christopher Penn talked about R. <laughs> right. I don't even know what the heck R was other than pirates, not, going, not pirates saying pirate. R. <laughs> right? I knew that R, but I didn't know there was some programming language, and I didn't know about Tableau, and I didn't know about – like writing your own programs for AI and now I had heard of you know Watson and all that good stuff so that was kind of cool yeah. yeah yeah it brought it back to me like not feeling stupid <laughs> for a hot minute um, but the but the thing I would say about navigational tools and I'll kind of let you close this section up too is I would go back if you're listening to this now I would go back and listen to that navigational tool section because it was unlike any other navigational tool section we've ever had because it was talking about tools, yes, but at a much deeper level um, and more of like what to actually kind of do with those tools and how to pick one and make it the gold standard um, and not kind of bounce around, which we do as humans. We're like, oh, well, I, I like Basecamp. Oh, I like Teamwork. So oh, I like Asana. Oh, I like Trello. I, Pick one right. when it comes to AI and just go with it. So, but what what are you? If you had to encapsulate, we were going from the sixth floor down yeah. the rest of the way. By the way, that's part of the old like riddle that I threw out earlier. Sixth floor, the rest of the way down. What were your thoughts on the navigational tool uh, section? So, what I loved about it is he obviously knows our audience because he was talking about how to get into it, and he talked. All the tools he provided have free versions that don't cost a dime. They take time, but they don't cost a dime. And, um, you know, so like learning how to write in R, um, which is literally the letter R, people, um, you know, or or figuring out statistical programming, I thought was really cool. How to visualize that data with Tableau. Like they have they all have free open source projects. Um, all the way down to this literally blew my mind. MIT has yeah. courses, courses and lectures that are free. Yeah, I had no clue. Right, and then um, and then de- and then Google's also creating crash courses in machine learning for developers who are writing in Python. So like that gets the nerdier side. But like all of this information is available. And one of the things that like where I started to get inspired is, I'm not gonna lie, I have no interest or time to write in R. But it doesn't mean that I shouldn't, as a marketer and a business owner, understand how AI works. Mm. Because AI or data or or projections in one way, shape, or form, one thing's for sure is that especially the marketing industry is going to be is going to be inundated with statistical programming and AI that makes our jobs easier. And the stuff that used to be in our brain that said, oh, whether it was a viable option or not is going to happen on a computer and probably more reliably. So we got to get paid to think in other ways. So you have to get in and start researching this stuff. And I really love that Chris gave us tools that don't cost us anything but time. Hey, this episode is brought to you by Impulse Creative's Video Fundamentals Masterclass. Are you trying to do video? Hmm. Do you find it hard spending too much money, too much time? All of those hurdles we eradicate 
you just need to go check it out. The link is in the description in the show notes. Make sure you check out the video fundamentals masterclass. Remington bag, the Bermuda triangle. Mm. Yeah. This one was fun. This, this is fun and, and this one can get a little nerdy. So we're going to go at a high level. Um, I operate my business on the premise and I beat everyone up that assumptions are the enemy. We actually had a conversation right before this episode. And so, you know, assumptions, you know, the assumption that, you know, AI is, is going to do something like that's not really how AI works. Like it's a mathematical equation. There's no assumptions in it. And any assumptions, um, which I thought was pretty cool how he explained it, create bias. And so, you know, it's literally mathematics. It's one plus one is two. And we're not talking about common core where you've got weird diagrams. Like it's, it's very, very straightforward. But machine bias, um, was one of the things that he talked about in, in these like machine learning algorithms. And I thought it was very, I thought it was very interesting because it also shows how responsible we have to be as, as individuals, right? Um, so, there's intentional bias and then there's target bias. And then he has two others, which we'll get into in a second. But like intentional bias is going into a creating a machine learning algorithm or creating building out AI um, that where you have an outcome that you want to accomplish. And so he gave an example about a police department who wanted to get a list of people who would reoffend. Um, the algorithm was only 20% right. And for those, for those that don't do math very easily, that's 80% wrong. <laughs> right? Like, like, like intentional bias. Dude, intentional even I got bias. that math. Come on. Yeah. I got but, that math. But, but I wanted to kind of reinforce that. Like, because you put these numbers in, in the beginning of something, it, it can create some very drastic outcomes that are, can be incredibly right or incredibly wrong. And I thought it was very interesting how he led with that one, the intentional bias. Um, the sub, uh, the target bias I thought was, um, was pretty crazy because, um, the target, the target bias allowed for the subject and the info where the data is, is no good. Um, and he gave an example about HR that decided the HR algorithm decided for, with Amazon decided that women were no good. And it wasn't because women were no good in the workplace. It's because at the time of the sample of the data, the data didn't have women in the workplace. And it didn't have the full picture about why they maybe they left. Maybe it was because of maternity or something like that. It didn't have all of the information. So I thought that was um, that was like a perfect example. And it hits home because, you know, everything's been very, very much like, you know, equal rights and equal like pay and all of that. And that was that was one that really hit home about how AI can shoot you in the foot, even if it comes with good intentions. Yeah, it uh, it seems it can be very fickle. Right. Like like you can. So there's this there's this thing of um, I listen to some motivational, inspirational things every now and then. And uh, it's funny because there's this guy who talks about if you turn one degree um, and walk, yep. you're going to be, uh, you know, vastly in a different position than you would if you would have just stayed straight. And yep. and I think of this data and, and these four, you know, things that. Christopher talked about and and it doesn't even have to be one degree or one percent it could be point zero zero one percent off 
and the data is going to come back. It's going to present something that that could be just completely different than you would imagine or think or need um, to base your business decisions on. I mean, imagine if if you put in the data on when to sell cheese at the best time, and you were that's your you just sell cheese. That's how you make your living. You are a Swiss cheese connoisseur. Notice I didn't say X there. I'm just going to throw that out there. Or Havarti. Or Havarti. And uh, I don't think I've ever had Havarti, by the way. But I don't oh want to go down that. I don't want to go down that. I don't want to go down that. I'll have to try it. But Swiss cheese, right? Like if you put in the wrong data, 0.001% of wrong data, and all of a sudden you're five days off of the best time to start to make your Swiss cheese and to sell your Swiss cheese, there's going to be an overage or underage. Yeah. And and now you've got a bunch of waste or you've got to do a, a sale. There's less revenue. Like it, it can be crazy. It's funny because the next one, I just want to dip my toes into number three and then let you talk about three and four as well. Um, when I heard Chris talking about this one, I immediately thought of my grandpa. My grandpa had some of the most amazing sayings. Uh, you know, he one of was, uh, don't let your alligator mouth override your hummingbird ass. But anyway, I, I love that saying. Uh, but he also had this other one that I've lived with, like, and, well, keep it simple or keep it simple, stupid. That one too, right? Kiss everyone. My grandpa, he, I loved these sayings. But this one in particular, uh, I totally agree with on a life perspective and to see that it was being talked about in a data perspective made me very, very happy. And that is simply the fact of garbage in garbage out, right? Source biased, um, putting things in a machine because you want to get Mm. a certain outcome scares the crap out of me Yeah, because a lot of people hashtag fake news. (laughs) Don't pay attention to where the data came from, let alone who put the data in and yes. so this one was like if I think about garbage in, garbage out and what people could be feeding themselves with in belief. Mm. Anyway, I'll let you riff on yeah. this a little bit. Yeah. So the source bias, 100 percent, like I think that's one of the biggest issues is maybe our brains can't handle that, like disseminating that information. I think Facebook even talked about that. And like some experts have said just showing it to you influences you. Right. Um but yeah, the whole concept of garbage in, garbage out, and we think about it in the simplest form, like you're going to send an email out to 100,000 people and the client gave you a list of 100,000 contacts and they haven't sent an email to them in the past two years, right? Like if you import that entire list, that that email send is going to suck because we all know, well, we don't all know, like the st- statistics show us that that the average people are are moving you know, every, every couple of years or the email life, you know, there starts to be a decay on the list. So if you just take it based on that, you're not gonna be able to get really great results out of it in the end. Now you send a couple times and then suddenly now you're going to have a more, a more relevant source of, of truth in regards to your email database. But, um, the other one was tool bias. And I thought this was, I thought this was really interesting because I think there's people that don't really know how to actively listen in the first place but tool bias he gave examples of instagram that machine learning couldn't deal with sarcasm with a photo and also the fact that there are photos so it could be a picture of a beautiful field and there could be sarcasm attached to it 
And yet, you know, some machine learning algorithms would look at that as a positive sentiment when it's actually like the exact opposite. So, so the tool bias and understanding the types of inputs that you would get to be able to, uh, understand whether or not things are actually positive or negative sentiment is, is, uh, super important. Yeah. The, the, the human element of AI, right? Like, uh, so it's funny because, um, Chris talked about fear being, um, our Mm -hmm. own limitation, fear Mm -hmm. of learning our, Fear of stepping into Google Analytics, fear of, oh, my God, the, the machine, AI itself, yep. right? Um, I don't fear AI. However, when AI starts to understand number four, mm, <laughs> <laughs> I might get a little nervous then because, like, you're getting really close to being human uh, when you can start to actually pay attention to those very micro um, pieces. But but I, I really – don't understand why people put um, a fear of learning, um, a fear of using a new tool. Because if you if you just go back and bake this down to that AI is mathematics, we're just figuring out a way to use mathematics better. Mm. Therefore, it's a tool that has been around since the abacus, just a different yep. way, a smarter way, a faster way. I don't understand why there's the fear in that. And, and so yeah. it's, that's very interesting to me. Um, the other thing that I'll just kind of leave on and then, and let you ref too is, um, this whole idea of AI, uh, and success, um, and journey and, um, time, right? Mm-hmm. This is, I go back to that we said it, it's not a magic trick. Right. It's not like you plug in data and bazoom, you're a billionaire. Right. Like a billionaire. That's not even a word. But a whatever. Yeah. I'm going to be a billionaire, people. No. Anyway, my point is like it's a tool. You shouldn't fear it. You should want to learn about it. You should want to use it. You should like it's going to be really important to the success move at as more people start your type of business, as competition all start doing inbound or content or whatever, like AI is – the people who are willing to leverage AI as a tool set are going to have an upper hand mm-hmm. in understanding data at a richer level, therefore being able to make smarter decisions at the human level to engage with their prospects, leads, and customers. That's as simple as that. I'll shut it down. Remington, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so this goes away from the whole marketing thing, but goes to more of a user experience. Um, I think at a basic level, Amazon's website does a really great job of using AI to make your buying process smoother. All the way down to one click button to purchase, right? They're like removing all the friction points because they know, like, they're probably sending you stuff before you order because they know you're going to because of the amount of, um, the amount of AI. Um, and actually I had a conversation with my folks about, um, about AI and, and how it works. And it was after Carter, my son's third birthday. I shared a video, uh, because the, um, the Apple photos app on the phone, told me that Carter was three because I have Carter in my phone and a picture of him and his birthday. And it showed me every photo in my photo gallery since he was born. Remington Begg, the Bermuda Triangle. Mm. 
Yeah. This one was fun. This this is fun, and, and this one can get a little nerdy, so we're going to go at a high level. Um, I operate my, my business on the premise, and I beat everyone up, that assumptions are the enemy. We actually had a conversation right before this episode. And so, you know, assumptions, you know, the assumption that, you know, AI is, is going to do something like that's not really how AI works. Like it's a mathematical equation. There's no assumptions in it. And any assumptions, um, which I thought was pretty cool how he explained it, create bias. And so, you know, it's literally mathematics. It's one plus one is two. And we're not talking about common core where you've got weird diagrams. Like it's, it's very, very straightforward. But machine bias um, was one of the things that he talked about in, in these like machine learning algorithms. And I thought it was very I thought it was very interesting because it also shows how responsible we have to be as as individuals. Right. Um, so there's intentional bias and then there's target bias. And then he has two others, which we'll get into in a second. But like Intentional bias is going into a creating a machine learning algorithm or creating building out AI um, that where you have an outcome that you want to accomplish. And so he gave an example about a police department who wanted to get a list of people who would reoffend. Um, the algorithm was only 20 percent right. And for those for those that don't do math very easily, that's 80 percent wrong. Right, like, like, like intentional bias. Dude, even I got that math. Come on, yeah, I got that math. But, but I wanted to kind of reinforce that, like, because you put these numbers in in the beginning of something, it it can create some very drastic outcomes that are can be incredibly right or incredibly wrong. And I thought it was very interesting how he led with that one, the intentional bias. Um, the sub, uh, the target bias, I thought was um was pretty crazy because, um. The target, the target bias allowed for the subject and the info where the data is is no good. Um, and he gave an example about HR that decided the HR algorithm decided for, with Amazon decided that women were no good, and it wasn't because women were no good in the workplace. It's because at the time of the sample of the data, the data didn't have women in the workplace. And it didn't have the full picture about why they maybe they left. Maybe it was because of maternity or something like that. It didn't have all of the information. So I thought that was um, that was like a perfect example. And it hits home because, you know, everything's been very, very much like, you know, equal rights and equal like pay and all of that. And that was that was one that really hit home about how AI can shoot you in the foot, even if it comes with good intentions. Yeah, it uh, it seems it can be very fickle. Right. Like like you can. So there's this there's this thing of um, I listen to some motivational, inspirational things every now and then. And uh, it's funny because there's this guy who talks about if you turn one degree um, and walk, yep. you're going to be, uh, you know, vastly in a different position than you would if you would have just stayed straight. And yep. and I think of this data and, and these four, you know, things that. Christopher talked about, and and it doesn't even have to be one degree or one percent. It could be point zero zero one percent off, and the data is going to come back. It's going to present something that that could be just completely different oh, than you would imagine yep. or think or need 
um, to base your business decisions on. I mean, imagine if if you put in the data on when to sell cheese at the best time, and you were that's your you just sell cheese. That's how you make your living. You are a Swiss cheese connoisseur. Notice I didn't say X there. I'm just going to throw that out there. Or Havarti. Or Havarti. And uh, I don't think I've ever had Havarti, by the way. But I don't oh want to go down God. that. I don't want to go down that. I don't want to go down that. I'll have to try it. But Swiss cheese, right? Like if you put in the wrong data, 0.001% of wrong data, and all of a sudden you're five days off of the best time to start to make your Swiss cheese and to sell your Swiss cheese, there's going to be an overage or underage. Yeah. And and now you've got a bunch of waste or you've got to do a, a sale. There's less revenue. Like it, it can be crazy. It's funny because the next one, I just want to dip my toes into number three and then let you talk about three and four as well. Um, when I heard Chris talking about this one, I immediately thought of my grandpa. My grandpa had some of the most amazing sayings. Uh, you know, he one of was, uh, don't let your alligator mouth override your hummingbird ass. But anyway, I, I love that saying. Uh, but he also had this other one that I've lived with, like, and, well, keep it simple or keep it simple, stupid. That one too, right? Kiss everyone. My grandpa, he, I loved these sayings. But this one in particular, uh, I totally agree with on a life perspective and to yeah. see that it was being talked about in a data perspective made me very, very happy. And that is simply the fact of garbage in garbage out, right? Source biased, um, putting things in a machine because you want to get mm. a certain outcome scares the crap out of me Yeah, because a lot of people hashtag fake news. <laughs> don't pay attention to where the data came from, let alone who put the data in and yes. so this one was like if I think about garbage in, garbage out and what people could be feeding themselves with in belief. Mm. Anyway, I'll let you riff on yeah. this a little bit. Yeah. So the source bias, 100 percent, like I think that's one of the biggest issues is maybe our brains can't handle that, like disseminating that information. I think Facebook even talked about that. And like some experts have said, just showing it to you influences you. Right. Um but yeah, the whole concept of garbage in, garbage out, and we think about it in the simplest form, like you're going to send an email out to 100,000 people and the client gave you a list of 100,000 contacts and they haven't sent an email to them in the past two years, right? Like if you import that entire list, that, that email send is going to suck because we all know, well, we don't all know, like the st statistics show us that, that the average people are, are moving you know, every, every couple of years or the email life, you know, there starts to be a decay on the list. So if you just take it based on that, you're not gonna be able to get really great results out of it in the end. Now you send a couple times and then suddenly now you're going to have a more, a more relevant source of, of truth in regards to your email database. But, um, the other one was tool bias. And I thought this was, I thought this was really interesting because I think there's people that don't really know how to, actively listen in the first place, but tool bias. He gave examples of Instagram that machine learning couldn't deal with sarcasm with a photo and also the fact that there are photos. So it could be a picture of a beautiful field and there could be sarcasm attached to it. And yet, you know, some machine learning algorithms would look at that as a positive sentiment when it's actually like the exact opposite. 
So, so the tool bias and understanding the types of inputs that you would get to be able to, uh, understand whether or not things are actually positive or negative sentiment is, is, uh, super important. Yeah. The, the, the human element of AI, right? Like, uh, so it's funny because, um, Chris talked about fear being, um, our Mm -hmm. own limitation, fear Mm -hmm. of learning our, Fear of stepping into Google Analytics, fear of, oh, my God, the, the machine, AI itself, yep. right? Um, I don't fear AI. However, when AI starts to understand number four, mm, <laughs> <laughs> I might get a little nervous then because, like, you're getting really close to being human uh, when you can start to actually pay attention to those very micro um, pieces. But but I, I really – don't understand why people put um, a fear of learning, um, a fear of using a new tool. Because if you if you just go back and bake this down to that AI is mathematics, we're just figuring out a way to use mathematics better. Mm. Therefore, it's a tool that has been around since the abacus, just a different yep. way, a smarter way, a faster way. I don't understand why there's the fear in that, and and so yeah. it's that's very interesting to me. Um, the other thing that I'll just kind of leave on and then and let you ref too is um, this whole idea of AI uh, and success um, and journey and um, time. Right? Mm-hmm. This is I go back to that we said it, it's not a m- magic trick. Right. It's not like you plug in data and bazoom, you're a billionaire. Right. Like a billionaire. That's not even a word. But a whatever. Yeah. I'm going to be a billionaire, people. No. Anyway, my point is like it's a tool. You shouldn't fear it. You should want to learn about it. You should want to use it. You should like it's going to be really important to the success move at as more people start your type of business, as competition all start doing inbound or content or whatever, like AI is – the people who are willing to leverage AI as a tool set are going to have an upper hand mm-hmm. in understanding data at a richer level, therefore being able to make smarter decisions at the human level to engage with their prospects, leads, and customers. That's as simple as that. I'll shut it down. Yeah. Remington, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so this goes away from the whole marketing thing, but goes to more of a user experience. Um, I think at a basic level, Amazon's website does a really great job of using AI to make your buying process smoother, all the way down to one-click button to purchase, right? They're like removing all the friction points because they know, like, they're probably sending you stuff before you order because they know you're going to because of the amount of um, the amount of AI. Um, and I actually had a conversation with my folks about um, about AI and and how it works. And it was after Carter, my son's third birthday. I shared a video uh, because the um, the Apple Photos app on the phone told me that Carter was three because I have Carter in my phone and a picture of him and his birthday. And it showed me every photo in my photo gallery since he was born and it, and it put it all together. So I have, if you, if you have an iPhone to our listeners and viewers and you go to your photo gallery and you hit for you, 
you're going to see a whole bunch of recommendations. And like, I have memories that I'm putting up to the, you know, up to the calendar here. And it says home and it's pictures, a whole bunch of pictures of my wife, Carter and our house. It says on this day, it's all the photos that have ever been taken on this day as a gallery, the best of last three weeks, because obviously I'm taking pictures and it goes, it goes all the way down. It says featured photos because apparently I've shared this one a lot. Hey, I I know that guy. Right. And then, and then it goes into like albums where if you scroll down, it actually says people and places and it puts together all of the people in priority order of the photos that you actually put them in. And so literally Rachel is like number one on the list. And then I have Carter and he's named and it's got all of my employees, all of the people that I come in contact with on a day to day. And I can click any one of them and see all of the photos where we share. Mm. Now, now I say Mm. that because I know people that have photo albums that they've never opened and they're like, oh my God, look at this photo. But now AI is giving you memories that you never had on that day. And Facebook does that too. And so think about how AI is weaving into your life right now and how you enjoy those things. Um, and all you have to say is the word Alexa. Now I probably just, I'm probably saying that just set off everyone's Alexa device. Whoops. Sorry but, people. But in general, like there's so much opportunity here, um, whether it's photos and everything else, and it all comes down to AI and mathematics. And that's all I have to say. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a good story. That that phone story right there. If my phone wasn't broke, I would I would play with it and, and figure <laughs> like, it out Damn. right now. It's like, dang it, dang it. Uh, you know, it's funny, though. You did mention something in your segment, Remington. Like, I'm not scared of AI. Uh, but with four kids and a wife, man, I sure am uh, afraid of that Amazon one-click buy button. Woo! <laughs> so anyway, this week we got to talk about the captain killing it, somebody who's killing it on the internet in a good way or a bad way. By the way, this is a first of firsts. We've never done this before. Hmm. I should have like uh. some drum roll music going or something. Which actually a drum roll isn't music, it's just a drum roll. But nevertheless, this week's Captain Killing It is Mr. Christopher Penn himself. That's right. We've never had a guest be the next week's Captain Killing It, but there is a reason. Remington, why don't you explain why he is this week's Captain Killing It? Yeah, so I actually did research. There's not a lot of people talking about AI for marketers or SEO or anything to that to that effect. Um, and trust insights, the company that, um, that Christopher works, works at, um, you know, is obviously a a thought leader in the space and it's now, he literally wrote the book on AI for marketers. Um, and he just released it, I believe like a week ago as of, as of this recording. Um, and he talks about like what AI is and isn't. He's talking about what questions marketers should be asking vendors that, that's, that talk about AI. Um, and he even talks about like practical applications for AI. So I've got one on order already from Amazon. We'll put, um, we'll put show note links or a link in the show notes so that you can check it out. But, you know, Christopher Penn not only knows the stuff, but he's literally written the book and it's the second edition too. He totally missed, he totally didn't tell us about the first edition probably cause he was in the middle of writing the second. But, uh, but yeah, I can't wait to read, and I think everybody else should too, because I think there's definitely forward-looking stuff in there. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, any closing thoughts, Remington, before we set a sail back to the regular life that is Impulse Creative? No. Data people, use it or lose it. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, hey, if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast app, 
go over to iTunes, leave us a raving rating and review, five stars. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the little bell icon or at least subscribe so that you can watch other episodes to help grow your business. But next time, until next time, he's Remington Begg. I'm George B. Thomas, and we hope that you set sail from the dock of mediocrity and set Well, actually, we hope that you leave the dock of mediocrity (laughs) and set sail to the sunset of your success. I'm not even editing that, people. We're going to leave it in. Have a good day.